Hello, hello, welcome back. This is Tony here, your career bestie for up-leveling your leadership career in the world of tech. How the heck are you doing? The weather is once again glorious here. That's not something I typically say about Scotland, but it truly is. Been beautiful sunshine, been spending a lot of time in the garden because if I know anything about Scotland, it's that summer can be very short-lived. <laughs> so making the most of it around here. And actually, I'm looking forward to getting my first vaccine. I know, I'm like super late. I know people, even in the UK, who are like a decade younger than me, who've already had their vaccine. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but hey-ho, living in the Scottish borders where I am, <laughs> it's a wonderful place to be, but we're a little bit slow. So I get my first vaccine next week. Send me love because, you know, I'm a little bit concerned. Some people have had bad reactions. Some people have had their reactions. My husband was one of those. He was like just had a bit of a sore arm, like that you get from a flu jab. That was it, like nothing else. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> but then I know um, there's a couple of people I know who've been like laid out for a week after it. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a whole lot better than getting COVID. So I'm totally down with this. But like hoping it doesn't knock me sideways. Because you know what? I don't have time to be knocked sideways. <laughs> I was looking at my calendar and I, I've booked um, a couple of hours off the next morning. Um because I've heard that for most people, it seems to hit like overnight. Um, so I'm still intending to work the afternoon of my vaccination. I figure like if I'm sick, that's how, just how it is. I'll have to deal with that. Um, so yeah, send me love. Give me all the vibes. Tell me that there's nothing going to be wrong because I truly believe that we can impact the way we uh, show up for things simply by how we think, which is actually kind of the topic of today's podcast whole fake it till you make it thing. I want to uncover what this really is all about. I want to dismantle why fake it till you make it has a bit of a bad reputation. And actually, it's a phrase I don't personally like because it has that bad reputation. Um, but today, I actually want to uncover what is really going on and why psychologists talk about it as a tool in our toolkit and how it can be useful. Even though I don't like the phrase, what it's actually getting at is incredibly powerful. So ignore the fact that I don't like the phrase for today. I only don't like the phrase because people abuse it, misuse it, misunderstand it. <laughs> it is, of course, a topic I love talking about because it goes hand in hand with imposter syndrome. And actually, this is a, a topic that has been requested by a listener of the podcast. So if you have a topic you would love for me to dive into, uncover for you, explain to you, give you the tools, tips, and techniques, and of course, the mindset <laughs> that helps you use it, then send me a message. I am totally open to that. This podcast is my love letter to all of you women who are ready to change the world of tech. And I want to give you all the tools that you need to do that. I know you have technical skills, right? So I want to give you the other tools to make that happen. So if you have something you wish I was talking about, drop me a message. You can reach me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, or you can just drop me an email to support at tonyqualis.com and I will always personally reply. So uh, drop me a message and let me know what you would love for me to talk about. But let's, let's crack on with this, fake it till you make it. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. 
Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Now, if you've been around here long enough, you know this is a topic very dear to my heart because imposter syndrome has crippled my progress in my career in the past. And yet today, despite experiencing imposter syndrome on a nearly daily basis, yes, really, even now, (laughs) the thing is, I'm not actually held back by it anymore. So I experience it, but I'm not held back. Let me explain. In fact, These days, because I know the type of person I am who experiences imposterism regularly, it's actually my barometer for growth. If imposter syndrome is raising its unhelpful, hindering head, (laughs) going, hey, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, or telling me that I'm going to be found out that something needs to be more perfect, or that I couldn't possibly do something until I have another qualification, I still get that one a lot or I've learned everything I possibly can under the sun and more. (laughs) Despite having people around me who are true experts that I can lean on, if I'm not feeling those things, then imposter syndrome isn't coming up. And you know what that means? I'm not uncomfortable. (laughs) Because imposter syndrome is the number one way my discomfort shows up. I'm probably therefore not growing, which, you know, as we know, our growth zone, our discomfort zone is where the amazing stuff happens. And long term, I also know that despite the discomfort, I'm most happy because I don't believe happiness is really like this in the moment thing. I don't think we can actually be consistently happy if we're just like, how can I be happy right now eating chocolate or whatever it is? Don't get me wrong. I am totally down with eating chocolate, like zero judgment if that's your happy place. (laughs) But we don't stay happy by doing the thing that makes us happy right now. We stay happy by having this feeling of accomplishment and having done something and having achieved things. And that requires us to be uncomfortable. So to actually maintain my long-term happiness, to maintain my personal growth, to do things that I'm like, hell yes, I'm a rock star because I know that's when great things happen. Both for me and my clients, my life, everything around me you know what? Imposter syndrome has to be showing up because that's the kind of person I am. If, by the way, you want to discover your types of imposterism, I've talked about perfectionism and superwoman and all that sort of stuff. Don't forget that I have a free training. This is so important to me. I wanted to make this something that you can all get your hands on. Um, So it's a five part free training. It's just like five short videos, no more than 10 minutes each, where I dig into ditching yourself down, as I call it. The free course is called Ditch Yourself Down. (laughs) And you can just sign up and get started straight away with a workbook and the short lessons. And you'll learn how your imposter syndrome shows up. Uh, Also, if you're a leader, how it shows up in your team in sometimes very surprising ways. Sometimes, yes, even arrogance. This is the one that got me when I figured this out. Somebody who's arrogant, may be experiencing imposter syndrome. Not always, (laughs) but sometimes. And if you can understand what's going on underneath as a leader, you can totally work with them better to deal with the unhelpful behaviors. (laughs) But there's also the classics of the perfectionism, which actually, you know, you'll learn about the, the different types of imposter syndrome from the perfectionist to the procrastinator, the superwoman, the natural genius. If I'm throwing words around, you're like, what? go check out this training. It is your personal toolkit for tackling it because our individual solutions are just that. They have to be individual. There is no one size fits all. You have to figure out what works for you. 
and I take you through all the ways of doing the diagnosis and finding out the way to tackle it. Go to tonyquallis.com forward slash DTSD for ditch the self-doubt. In fact, if that sounds like something you need, go pause this, go do that right now, go sign up right now. <laughs> then of course, come back. <laughs> but go go sign up right now. Believe me, this is like life-changing. So I've actually had people do the course and then come and pay thousands of pounds to come and work with me simply because of this course, because that's how life-changing it has been. I'm not saying that you should do that. <laughs> this course is completely free for a good reason, but it is completely life-changing if you are struggling with imposter syndrome, lack of confidence, self-sabotage, all those things. Go check it out. I'll wait, I promise. You done that? Great. <laughs> Let's dig into this whole fake it till you make it thing. What is this? What am I talking about when I say fake it till you make it? And more to the point, why do I not like that phrase? Well, I don't like it because some people think it's about lying about who you are to gain success. And it's absolutely not that. What it is, is a way to tackle your imposter syndrome. So first things first, let's like deal with what it is and what it isn't. It is not lying, as I've just said. It is not about deceiving. It is not cheating. But the problem is that for many of us with imposter syndrome, our imposterism can be so extreme that we struggle to discern the difference between faking confidence and action and the actual reality of what lying is. All because a lot of the time the imposter syndrome piece is telling us that we will be found out, that people will realize we don't have the expertise that they think we do, or that if we make this decision without more information, that something will, of course, go wrong. Because there must be more information. Does that sound familiar? That's imposter syndrome. <laughs> and we are just not good enough to know it yet. If that all sounds like something you feel regularly, I want you to know you're not alone. This is normal. 70% of people, actually, there are so many different stats out there, but 70% of people are expected to experience imposter syndrome. The more well-educated you are, the more qualifications you are, the higher up you get in any organization, the more likely you are. So it may well be, I've even heard people say between 90 and 100% for like people in the tech industry. I don't think anybody really knows. But the good news is that although these feelings are very real and very prevalent and can be very, very debilitating, in many of us, they are often thoughts we have after. So this whole thing of fake it to be lying or deceiving or cheating, in the moment you never intend to do that, right? The idea that we would lie in the moment never crosses our minds. And this is where this whole difficulty around fake it till you make it really comes up. Our brains can tell us it's lying, it's deception, it's bad. Because we feel when we're reflecting on the fact that people are going to figure out who we are, our brains think, oh my gosh, you're feeling that way, therefore you must have lied. And that's absolutely the first thing from the truth. If you actually logically look at where you are today, have you lied to get to where you are? Could you actually pinpoint the time when you said hey, I have a degree from Harvard that you don't have. <laughs> no. Now, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of the time we have to work quite hard to position ourselves for interviews and learn how to speak about ourselves with more confidence. And I get a lot of pushback when I'm prepping some of my clients for interviews because they're like, oh, but I, I can't say that. And I'm like, why? There's nothing incorrect in there. Believe me, your peers are saying it. <laughs> And they're like, but it makes it sound like it's bigger than it is. And I'm like, yes, because it's big. <laughs> You're a rock star. And I think our brains are like, whoa, you know, is that lying? 
No, it's actually owning up to who you genuinely are. And if you talk to enough people, they will see that in you. And that's where our imposter syndromes go sky high because they're like, oh my God, they're going to figure out I'm not that good. You're the only one thinking that way, my love. That's the whole point of imposter syndrome. (laughs) That's why it's got this label because the rest of the world doesn't view you that way. Well, we might think in hindsight that people think we've lied to get to where we are, that we're out of our depth, etc. But in reality, we never lie to get there. And that's the first lesson I want you to take away from this. Our brains will be telling us, sometimes at least, that the whole thing of like how we've got to where we are, we must have lied. We must have done something bad at some point to get to where we are. And that's why it's going to all fall apart. But if you actually look for the evidence, you're not going to find that because you haven't. (laughs) Right? I want you to have that conversation with yourself. I want you to say to yourself, hey, brain, that's not very helpful because I've never lied about this stuff. I've never deceived or cheated about my career history. I am who I am. It's just my, you know, brain thanks for trying to keep me safe, trying to keep me where I am. But I'm ready to grow. (laughs) So let's get back to this whole faking confidence and see if we can learn something from it. I want to break down the fake it till you make it into the fake it part, first of all. It's actually the fake it part and then there's the make it part. So let's talk about the fake it. Well, the fake it part is really three things. It's three steps. Step one is pretend, as in pretend confidence. I'm going to dig into each of these in just a moment, right? Then step two is to practice. Practice the action. Keep the pretense of that confidence up for a period of time. And then step three, the most important part, and this is where the, we step into the making it, which we're going to come to in a minute. You learn to tolerate that set of feelings and actions. Because with enough practice, your brain stops triggering you and saying, I can't possibly do this. And it's just normalized. If that sounds familiar, it's because we do it all the time with all the things. It's just most of the time we don't even notice because it's not something directly related to your job. Think of the first time you did something new, right? It's often scary. We don't have experience to back up that something will work out and it'll be okay. So we step into this unknown and it's, it's terrifying, right? Let's start with something completely non-work related, such as the first time you got behind the wheel of a car to learn to drive. For many of us, myself included, this was utterly terrifying. Although alongside it was that element of excitement of like freedom. I'm going to be able to drive myself places. I'm not going to rely on the parents anymore or the older sibling or whoever. I definitely had the older sibling plus parents. I'm like, oh, just need to drive. <laughs> I was utterly terrified though. The, you know, really properly terrified. But what I had was like that ammunition of I need this to give myself the pretend confidence to actually take control of a vehicle. And then I obviously had somebody next to me, my driving instructor, who lent me confidence. And actually something I do now with my clients is I I lend them confidence. I have faith in them and I tell them that. And sometimes that's all we need to take that first step, right? I got that from my driving instructor. She had zero doubt in her mind that I could do it. (laughs) Zero doubt. So of course, I got behind that wheel. Between her belief and my desire, I practiced and then suddenly tolerance cropped up. The whole thing becomes normalized. You develop that tolerance for the experience so it's no longer terrifying. 
And then suddenly one day you wake up and think, I've been driving for 20 years. <laughs> right? This is all the fake it piece. That's all it is. It's nothing more complex. It's no, not lying. It's not doing a bad thing. It's telling your brain, I'm going to pretend I have some confidence. I'm going to take some practice until this is normal. That's all the fake it part of the fake it till you make it is. Now, let's talk about the make it piece. The make it piece is about succeeding. After all, once you've practiced and you've learned to tolerate the discomfort, stepping outside your comfort zone, and this fake behavior suddenly feels natural, alongside it, you'll suddenly start having the desired outcomes, such as, well, having learned to drive, and suddenly you don't feel as out of your depth as you did before. That's really all this faking it till you make it is. That's it. Take action, practice, learn to tolerate, and then recognize suddenly you've got the desired outcomes. Let's just dive into why this works a little bit more. So if you've got some resistance, you can see how it's going to work and therefore what tools you can use to actually use this in your everyday life. Because when we understand what's going on, we can use it to accelerate faster, right? So you've probably heard something along the lines of when you smile, it makes you happier. If you don't believe me, try it. It's something I've been actively doing during COVID, actually. And honestly, I know this is super irritating to hear, to share with you. If you're struggling with COVID, if you're struggling with not seeing friends and family and having hugs and all that, because that's really, like, it breaks my heart, let alone the more tragic stuff that's going on. I truly hope you haven't lost anybody. My heart goes out to you if you have. But here's the thing. At the beginning of COVID, I made a conscious decision that I wouldn't be miserable and that I wasn't going to let the whole thing get to me because then I was able to help those around me more. Because I remember reading about COVID and making a decision about how things were going to play out. At that point, I was running Women in High Performance Computing. We had our first major conference coming up and we had to make a decision about whether or not we were going to cancel well before lockdown was happening because actually the conference was scheduled for April, lockdown around the world kind of hit sometime in March. We were looking in February, um, like what we were going to do. So I was doing a lot of reading. The data was horrifying. I was, you know, the news was saying one thing and I was looking at the data and thinking the world's going to end. And I actually made a conscious decision at that point that I knew we were going to enter something truly horrific for the human race. I could see that coming. And I wasn't going to be miserable. And I wasn't going to be miserable because the people around me needed me not to be. And that piece there is crucial. I had to have a reason beyond my needs to work on my happiness. It had to be external to me. I know myself well enough to know that if I hadn't had that external piece, I would have felt guilt at working on my happiness. I still do on some level. That's why I'm like, I know it's irritating <laughs> because I know it is. I know some people find it super irritating that I have thrived during COVID. I mean, I've been blessed that I haven't lost anybody close to me, but I have actually personally thrived. It is super irritating and I have guilt around that. But if I had allowed myself to be crippled by the feelings around COVID, which was me five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have entered a downward negativity spiral. I've no doubt about it because I've seen it before. Because there's an awful lot going on in the world right now. And despite much of the West getting vaccinated, globally more people are dying than at any previous point in the pandemic. So how do you square my happiness with the fact the world is in a really, truly awful place and it's actually still getting worse? 
despite the fact that many of our lives are getting a little bit better for those of you listening to this podcast anyway, there's a lot to be unhappy about. Here's the crux though. Being unhappy about it doesn't solve any of those issues. Being angry, I mean, I have written to a fair number of politicians over the last year. (laughs) I channel my anger into that. In general, I don't visibly show my anger, but I do get angry, especially when there are idiotic decisions being made that I think are costing lives. But there's a lot to be unhappy about, but I can't positively impact those around me if I spend all my time being angry and unhappy. Those of you who listen to this podcast, and and of course, my clients who were my number one priority, I'm not helping you if I'm angry and miserable. So actually, I have a duty of care to ensure that I'm happy and taking care of myself so I can take those responsibilities and show up in the best way. It isn't selfish. It's necessary. (laughs) And I needed that particular emphasis. That is super important to me. I know that about myself. If I want to achieve something, I have to look about the external reasons for why I need to be doing it beyond my personal needs. And at the end of the day, my personal needs impact everybody around me, right? My friends, my family, my clients. So I just have to consciously make that connection. It can feel so easy to fall into the trap of this feels selfish to work in this area. It feels selfish to make myself happy when there's so much suffering in the world because it can feel that way. In fact, I think society tells us that we should feel that way. But actually, I've learned it's the other way around. It's selfish for me to feel negative, to be in that downward spiral because then I can't help people. And I was put on this planet to make the world a better place. (laughs) You know I have talked about this before. I genuinely believe that. And to do that, I have to be in a good place myself. So let me, (laughs) I know I've gone on about that a little bit, but I want you to make that connection. I want you to realize whatever it is that you decide to work on after listening to this episode, that there's not an entirely selfish reason for it. Whether it's because you need to work on something to get a promotion so you get more pay so that you can, you know, take better care of your family, or maybe that you just want to take on more responsibility at work because you have great ideas and you know the world will benefit from listening to you. Whatever it is, make that link. It isn't just about you. Stop telling yourself it's selfish. It's not. I promise you. (laughs) That's your first step. But let's go back to the smiling to make yourself happier and what's going on here. I, I chose this example for a good reason because many of us have experienced this. If you smile, do you feel happier? You probably do. But for the longest time, neuroscientists couldn't explain what was going on despite so much evidence from psychologists that it was a real thing. It's a small thing, but it's there. It's not something that can just be dismissed as a a possible effect. It's a genuine effect, albeit small. Well, what neuroscientists have since learned, is now we understand neuroscience better and how our brain's wiring creates feedback loops, is that if you signal something to your brain, you are going to be firing neurons. And when you fire neurons, connections are made. And what you're actually doing is kicking in a biological feedback system because historically in your life, when you've been smiling, your brain has been happy. You've built a correlation in your brain between those two things. You wired a connection between those two things. And helpfully in this situation, the feedback loop works both ways. When you smile, a biological social feedback system kicks in. It says, oh, I must be happy (laughs) because there's a social benefit for us being happy. So we have social cohesion. If those around us are happy, we want to be happy to fit in, have social cohesion, which actually, you know, the whole evolutionary thing is there because if we have social cohesion, we're more likely to survive 
being eaten by a tiger, <laughs> all those sorts of things, right? So our brain fires together the happy neural circuits when we smile. And every time those neural circuits are fired, they're wired together even stronger. So the more you do this, and I've certainly noticed this over the last year, 18 months, uh, because I've been actively practicing it. I quite often, when I record these podcasts I'm doing it right now, I'm smiling. One, because I've learned that when I smile, I have a different tone of voice. And I think it's easier to listen to. Or yes, the weird thing about podcasting is you listen to yourself too much. <laughs> but I've learned that when I smile, like it actually has even more of an impact now. My husband gets really irritated with me sometimes when I walk out of my office. I've recorded a podcast and I'm like, woo, I'm happy. <laughs> Let's do a dance. And he's like, why do you get so happy podcasting? And I'm like, because I smile. It's also because I love talking about all this stuff. And as I said, these are my love letters to you on some level, audio, albeit. But yeah, like it's a real thing. And the more I do it, the stronger that connection is and I feel more happy. Suddenly, smiling induces a feeling, a mood that's just associated with a good mood. Now, it is a weak effect, but as I said, you can shift it to be stronger if you do it more. And I just, I think that's the most amazing thing. <laughs> Believe me, try it, give it a go. It's hard to stay miserable and self-involved in how bad things are if you've consciously spent the day trying to smile. And actually, in hindsight, kudos for this one goes to my father, who was a psychologist until he retired. I guess he still is. <laughs> um, when I was down in the dumps as a little girl, actually even as a teenager, hasn't done it recently, but you know, <laughs> he would say to me, you're trying not to smile. Really irritated me. Would so infuriate me, but at the same time, without fail, he sometimes had to say it twice, but without fail, it would make me smile and often laugh, even through tears. And suddenly my mood would be lifted. Some hugs and a good talk later and my mood would shift significantly. It was <laughs> consistently strong. I don't know if my father did this deliberately. He knew what he was doing. Probably did. He's a child psychologist. Um, <laughs> without fail, it would work every single time. So I want you to give that one a go, right? If you've been miserable lately, give it a go, please. Like, I it's kind of not the point of this other than it shows you what the fake it till you make it thing is really about. But it's such a powerful thing. And if you go through life happier, then well, it's a better place for everybody around you, I promise. So now that we understand what kind of thing is going on, we can change how we feel by choosing an action, ideally an action that our neurosecretary has aligned with the thing that we're trying to bring in. Let's talk about how we can use that to help us with imposterism. So the first and the biggest one is to talk about how posture affects confidence. Because for a lot of us, the imposter syndrome, the way that plays out day to day is a lack of confidence. The lack of confidence may stop us delivering some materials, like the perfectionism strikes up and you're like, I can't possibly do that until I spent 10 more hours on it or I've done this, I've polished it more, et cetera, et cetera. It could be that your confidence says, I can't make this decision until I have way more data that's impossible to get. So you don't make timely decisions, which is bad for leadership. It could be that you think that you need to get more qualifications before you can do something, whatever it is. A lot of it's underpinned by confidence. Social psychologist Amy Cuddy is the pioneer of the power posing effect. So let me tell you what the power posing is and how this relates to confidence. So I want you to do this right now. Hey, I don't care if you're in the middle of the supermarket, the grocery store. I just want you to do this. <laughs> I want you to stand head up high, 
shoulders back, hands on hips, feet shoulder width apart, big Wonder Woman for a couple of moments. Ideally about a minute. I'm not asking you to do a minute in the grocery store, but if you want to, go with it, lady. I think you're awesome. (laughs) Here's the thing. Um, So when Amy Cody first talked about this, there was quite a lot of controversy from other researchers in this field saying it wasn't a real effect. But actually, after many, many follow-up studies, it's now accepted that just as smiling, it impacts your mood because lack of confidence is actually a mood. I know, it's irritating, but it is a mood. It's a negative mood. And so because we have historically associated especially watching those around us, a confident posture with confidence. And Wonder Woman, you know, that is a confident posture. You would never think that Wonder Woman wasn't confident, right? Go watch Wonder Woman again. I think that movie rocks, by the way, just saying. (laughs) Because we've seen that, our brains associate that with confidence. And again, it's a small effect. But just like smiling, it is enough to kick back to fire that neural circuitry that says build connections and suddenly our negative mood around our lack of confidence drops. Now, it doesn't go completely away because there is another step to take, which is the action piece. The next step is going and doing something that you're uncomfortable about. And here's the real kicker. By showing up more comfortably and confident because you've done your power pose or whatever it is you've given yourself to give yourself that little confidence boost, just a tiny little one, you're going to change how those around you perceive you. And this is key. Psychologists refer to this as impression management because how we show up has a huge impact on whether people trust us, believe us, will take our answers, all that sort of stuff. It's why confidence for a job interview is so important. Why I say to people, you really want your first interview to be for a job you don't want because it gives you confidence because you've done it before. (laughs) And then the job you really want, you've got lots of practice and your confidence is there. People are going to trust you more. We can't remove that. It is actually a bit like an implicit bias. We don't even know that we're seeing the signals of somebody who's lacking confidence and it's having an impact on us. Sometimes it's really obvious somebody's lacking confidence. I remember my first ever job interview coding on a whiteboard. Holy heck, that was horrific. (laughs) And it was, I just froze, completely froze. And thank heavens that the interviewers like recognized lack of confidence going on, sat me down and got me to talk through the algorithm I was about to write. And I got the job. Amazing. (laughs) Not the greatest way to start my career with the first interview being the job I really wanted, but hey, it's what I did. (laughs) But if my lack of confidence hadn't been quite so obvious, I would have just not answered questions as well. I would have been appeared less trustful and all sorts of things. If you've ever had comments about your executive presence, it may well be that you need to work on your impression management. So doing something like the Wonder Woman pose is a great way to help that because it gives you a little bit of a confidence boost and you show up differently. And that massively influences how the people around you respond. If you show up authoritative, to the point, clear, concise, you're more likely to be taken seriously. Spend less time defending your decisions and actions and have more time to deliver the results. As actually, executive presence is the topic that we're going through in the Lit Up Leadership Academy right now, and it's so incredibly important, and yet something none of us are taught about. It's something most leadership programs never speak about, which drives me nuts. (laughs) I had to figure it all out for myself. 
And there's this frustrating cycle that if you're in the place of doubting yourself or feel that you need to justify what you're doing, you're offering the opportunity to the other people around you to second guess you. You're saying, I don't trust myself, so you shouldn't trust me either. And you don't even know that you're doing that. In fact, you might walk out of the meeting and be like, holy heck, I went in there with a lack of confidence, but now I'm annoyed, right? (laughs) If that sounds familiar, (laughs) you may well be self-sabotaging here. And that's when the fake it is really, really important. Because I want you to step into the realm of, okay, I'm just going to tell them how it is. Then if they ask, I'll back that up with why rather than going in with your why and then telling them how it is. Suddenly your life gets easier when you make that shift. Doing the Wonder Woman pose and realizing that you know your stuff. You'll suddenly get more time to get on and do the work that will deliver, which boosts your confidence and boosts other people's confidence in you. That's really what executive presence is really about, alongside the politics. And the politics is largely having the confidence to navigate workplace politics, not the sleazy politics. I'm not talking about that. The fact that you're dealing with people, that's politics with a lowercase p. (laughs) But to do all of that, you've got to show up that way first. Because a key part of progressing professionally and actually in every aspect of your life, including personally, is to build confidence in your abilities. And that starts with having confidence in you. Yes, self-confidence is possibly the number one thing holding you up, even if at the same time you're constantly irritated and annoyed by your lack of progress. Hey, I've been there. Lack of confidence, lack of progress, annoyance, all in one thought, really annoying, hard to discern which one's the issue. They're all an issue, but you have to start on your confidence first. And of course, there's a whole load of mindset around this, and we're going to come to that in just a moment. (laughs) But let's first just recap. What fake it till you make it really means. First of all, faking it. Step one, pretend. Pretend the confidence that you need. Step two, practice. Keep that pretense of confidence up for a period of time. Practice the action until it's normal, which leads us to step three. Tolerate because once you've done it enough, you've normalized the experience. This is the process to condition your brain so you can tolerate action until you get to the point where you make it because it's all normalized. Your negative emotions can hold you back But instead, what you're learning to do is ditch that self-sabotage and instead demonstrate the behaviors, which means those around you trust you more rather than less. And just to bring us full circle back to imposter syndrome, those feelings of failure, fear of failure, inevitable pending doom, which all encourage procrastination or nullifying your achievements and hard work, damaging your own self-belief. Instead, take some actions such as the Wonder Woman pose to practice your confidence, practice stepping up for something, learn to tolerate that discomfort until it's normalized, it's no longer uncomfortable. Some of those feelings are going to go away. Really, truly, (laughs) believe me. They'll show up in other ways. They do for me. I still procrastinate, not on the same things I used to procrastinate on. Instead, do something by faking your way through it So you create opportunities and force the repetition of behavior that either helps you learn or helps you get comfortable with those previously negative experiences and feelings. And suddenly they're not negative anymore. To step out of that though, we have a choice. And the choice is how we choose to think, which brings us to this week's leadership mindset moment. In case you're new around here, the leadership mindset moment is an actual tip to help you adjust how you act or think on the topic of today's podcast. And mindset is a big one around this whole fake it till you make it to tackle your imposterism. 
I want you to do a little bit of self-coaching today. <laughs> if you've now completed my free Ditch the Self-Doubt course, in fact, if you haven't, bookmark this episode, come back and listen to this part of the episode once you have, you'll now know how the different types of imposterism are going to show up for you. The symptoms to watch out for, and in fact, the tools to use to combat the symptoms when they show up. Yes, it's that good if you haven't done this already. Now, the final piece of that puzzle is choosing to interrupt one of those negative mood cycles, that sense of impending failure and doom that happens, right? Because here's the thing. Thoughts create feelings. Feelings mean we take action. And action, as you now know, provides a feedback mechanism into how we think and therefore how we feel. It's a cycle. Thoughts, feelings, action. Thoughts, feelings, actions. It's a self-fulfilling cycle. Which is why I talk about downward spirals and upward spirals. Because you get to choose to step into a downward or to step into an upwards. It's your choice. We often don't think it is a choice. We just think we're in a downward spiral right now. We're in a negative place right now. You can choose, my love, to step in the upward spiral. I know it doesn't feel that way, but you can. I've seen this so many times. The key thing is learning how to break out of it. So if you're in this negative space, and you might be in a positive place in some aspects of your career, especially if you've worked on this stuff before, but there's this one part that's a negative place, right? That's normal. (laughs) I certainly have that. A lot of my life is now great because I've been working on this stuff for so many years. There's nothing like coaching other women to work on yourself. (laughs) But every now and then I'll notice there's a negative part of my life, right? There's an area that needs some work. So it doesn't have to be your entire life is in this negative space. If that is true, please go see a therapist, go see a professional who can help you with that, my love, okay? But sometimes it's just one small area and and we push it away, we hide it, we don't want to tackle it because it's uncomfortable, right? So here's what you're going to do. You're going to interrupt that thought, feeling, action cycle. So step one, of course, is to recognize. If you aren't good at this, please, please get a coach. Now, a therapist may well help you with this, but a lot of the time if we've done the work with a therapist to get ourselves in a better place... It's then about recognizing that that one area where we have the negativity, and that's something that I've had to really work on in the last two years. I'll be like, I just, I realize I'm procrastinating on something because it's not typically how my imposterism shows up or the natural genius piece of like, I can't do that until I get a qualification or I can't do that because it feels too hard because I should be able to do things easily. That was me a very long time ago. And what I need to do is recognize that that is playing up, even though the rest of my life is pretty damn good, right? (laughs) So I want you, if you struggle with that, get yourself a coach because it's the fastest way to develop your self-awareness in this area. Please, please, please. But once you recognize, it's time to decide how you are going to act. But to do that, we have to go back through the thoughts, feelings, actions, thoughts, feelings, actions cycle. So start with the actions because it's the actions, as you know, that are going to change how you think and feel. And our feelings come from our thoughts. So here's the beautiful thing though. Your thoughts are free. Nobody pays for your thoughts. You don't pay anybody for your thoughts. You have far more control over your thoughts than you think you realize. If you've ever meditated and realized that the whole key with meditation is that everybody struggles with it, but you get to choose how you think. You get to keep reminding yourself of the thing that you're trying to think right now then you realize that your thoughts are free. Even though you think that you don't have any control, you can choose. Your brain may well then go back off and think about the thing you don't want to be thinking about. And then you get to say, thanks brain, and bring it back. And you keep doing that. You have complete choice and control over your thoughts, my love. 
So decide how you want to think differently. Then start thinking that way. Be patient with yourself. Try for five minutes. What does your brain tell that you should be thinking and feeling and doing and all that sort of stuff? Keep bringing it back to where you want to be. And then what action would align with that feeling? Then take that action. Suddenly, by choosing how you think, you're interrupting that thinking, feeling, action cycle. So you can go all the way through to actions that are going to reinforce how you now want to be thinking and feeling. Just try it. It seems somewhat crazy. And yet, if you have learned how to interrupt this cycle and use it to your advantage, you will realize it's the key to personal growth. And if you've ever tried that whole smiling thing to make yourself happy, you'll know that this is a thing. And you can use it every single day. That's it for today's episode. If you want to go check out my free imposter syndrome training, do not forget to head to tonycollis.com forward slash DTSD. That's DTSD for ditch the self-doubt. Or check out the link in the show notes that I've put in your favorite podcast player. Of course, you can also get the show notes and listen to this over at tonycollis.com forward slash episode 52. And of course, if you love this and you think anyone else would benefit from hearing this, because this is a topic that I think all of us can benefit from, please, please do share it with them. I truly believe this one is a game changer. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.